Confluence Radio is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. When dams are eventually taken out of the river, people being able to sort of like look back on this, a future that people used to imagine and people used to dream about. Hello and welcome to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. As you might know, the Columbia River System has a lot of dams. What is the legacy of that? And what would be the benefit of restoring salmon to the Columbia and reviving the health of the river? These are questions considered in the latest volume of the Confluence journal, Voices of the River. Volume two of our journal explores the Columbia River system's history, living cultures, and ecology through indigenous voices. Dr. David Lewis, who is Grand Ronde, led the development of our second volume as the lead editor. This issue features articles by Dr. Michelle Jacob, Carol Craig, Dr. Lindsay Schneider, and Rachel Cushman. We also have poetry by Jake DePoe and Owen L. Oliver, and art by Chanti Manyan and Sarah Folden. In the fall of 2023, we launched the journal at the Oregon Historical Society, and we're joined by speakers David Lewis, Chanti Manyan, and managing editor Lily Hart. Our moderator was Eliza Canty-Jones, Director of Community Engagement at the Historical Society. We'll start off with me introducing the panelists. So first of all, David Lewis, other than being such a great guy, is a member of the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde, and his research specialty is Western Oregon Tribes. He served as the director of the Southwest Oregon Project Collection at the University of Oregon and was the cultural department manager at the Grand Ronde Tribe for eight years. David teaches anthropology and indigenous studies at Oregon State University. His essays are published on the blog, The Cortex Journal, and he has a new book that just came out this week that we highly, highly recommend everyone on the west side of Oregon, but particularly everyone in this region read, and it's called Tribal Histories of the Willamette Valley. Chanti Manyan was born and raised in the Willamette Valley, and her work is focused on improving the ways that indigenous people are represented through art, communications, and other visual media. She attended Oregon State University and graduated with a BA in Ethnic Studies, a BA in Art, and a minor in Indigenous Studies. She's collaborated with Oregon State University, the Portland Art Museum, Scholastic, OMSI, Confluence, and many other organizations to uplift indigenous representation. Lily Hart is the editorial and content manager at Confluence and a PhD student in history at the University of British Columbia, where she recently earned her master's. At UBC, she studies North American West and public history. She earned her BA at Portland State University. She started at Confluence as an unpaid intern and now manages our digital library, book publications, and the Confluence Story Gathering podcast. So thank you all for being here, and I will hand it over to Eliza. My name's Eliza Canty-Jones. I work here at the Oregon Historical Society. We're so honored to be the host of tonight's event. Um, our mission here is to preserve our state's history and make it accessible to everyone in ways that advance knowledge and inspire curiosity about all the people, places, and events that have shaped Oregon. 
But to start us off, there's, there is a letter from the editors, uh, a short piece from Lily, and then a longer letter from David. And I'm going to ask David to read the opening paragraph of that letter. And then I'll ask him a question about it afterward. But I just want to invite folks to just take a moment as you listen to David read. And if you feel so inclined, just close your eyes and just breathe and listen to this reading as we begin this evening. Before today, before my tribe was restored, before my people were terminated, there were great fishing sites on the Columbia, on the Willamette and other places, and many rivers in the Northwest occupied by hundreds of tribes and bands. Our people were fisher people, living alongside great rivers with an amazing array of fishes and plants that sustained us for millennia. We voyaged the rivers in great canoes, hewn from cedar, and had relatives in many tribes. Most of the people spoke several languages and would visit their relatives during salmon runs. For many generations, there was peace as our elders taught traditional ways and our leaders helped us make difficult decisions. We always worked for our people, our community, and had respect for the rivers, mountains, animals, and plants to sustain us. They were our brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, and elders related to us in our oldest stories of how the world came to be, how the tribes were formed, and how giant animal relatives changed the world around us. David, would you talk a little bit about why you crafted the opening in this way, first with naming these three events that everything else that you wrote about was before today, restoration and termination, and then all of the before things that you wanted to open the journal with? I think when I was writing this that I was very conscious of my place in this journal, in this history. We were sort of imagining a journal that would be a part of what we call indigenous futurities or what, what we could think about in the future as the possibilities of restoration, of return of the river, or return of fishes. And so I was thinking that Maybe, you know, maybe not everybody knows that my tribe, you know, the, the people at Grand Ronde, the, the Calapuyans, the, my, the Chinook people that went to Grand Ronde and other peoples were also fisher people on the Columbia, just like all the other tribes that are fisher people on the Columbia that are really well known. And, and these issues don't affect just one area of the river. It affects all of us. All of us are parts of the tributaries or parts of the lifeways of the river system, the Columbia River. I mean, if it wasn't for, like, the Calapuyans and their, their care of the Willamette Valley, maybe the fish would not be as healthy as they would have been going into the Columbia to spawn or coming back, coming back from spawning or to spawning or leaving and go to the ocean. So, so this is, I think this is a really important perspective. I mean, it's not just about the Columbia. About, it's about all the different lands and all the different peoples that are part of this land, that are part of this, this, these cultures. And, you know, it's really, I think it's really important to think about that in that way. It's this, these, these things affect us all. And I know that my elders deeply felt when the, the dams went into the rivers and destroyed fishing populations, we deeply feel that because that's part of our culture too. Chanti, I wanted to ask some about your process in working on this and please tell folks a little bit about because you created not just the beautiful cover 
but also artistic and design elements throughout the volume. And so would you talk us some about how you engaged with the written material? Did you read it in draft? Did you engage in conversation with the authors? You know, and what sort of purposes and intentions did you bring to the work as you were doing this? I had an opportunity to read through drafts of all of the work from the different authors. As I was reading, I just took note of different ideas or visual elements that came to mind while I was reading. I think one that I can think of off the top of my head with the, the salmon skeleton, one of the pieces talks about youth going to the river and returning salmon bones. And I think that was definitely something that like really, really stuck in my mind that I definitely wanted to include in the work. And then also in, including Camus and Wapato as kind of other sort of staples of the Willamette Valley. I think some of my favorite things to do have been doing murals, and this felt very harmonious with the work that I've done. I think that it, it was a really nice opportunity to be able to explore sort of a different area where it's a little bit more focused on salmon specifically, but also restoration and the river as a as, as more, more in focus than a lot of the other stuff that I've done. And I think especially growing up in Salem, really close to the Willamette River, it was really nice to be able to kind of uh, pay homage to that. Lily, this is the second time you've done this. And we had the honor of hosting the launch event for the first volume of Voices of the River and talked a lot about process and, and how this is different than some of the other kinds of publishing that many of the authors have worked with. Would you talk some about that process and, and what you made sure to keep and what maybe you did differently this time? Yeah, so one thing let's just start off that was different is Last year we had people send in pitches, and this year we actually had people send in drafts. We also were happy to talk pitches, but people sent in either like full drafts or like the first couple of pages, which made it just a bit more efficient on our end. This year the outside reviewers some were actually authors from last year, and let's see. And then, yeah, and I think the work with Chanti, with the artwork, that was last year we also had the artist read through the pieces to really do art that aligned with the pieces. We did that again. I think that's really wonderful to have the art and the rich material really be clearly tied together and connected in that way. David, I asked you to read the beginning of your letter, and I appreciate that. I have a quote from the end of it that I, that I want to read to folks because it's, it's a really assumptive vision of the future. So I'm going to give you the end of this letter now, but you can read it again yourselves later. But David writes, with the destruction of the dams will come a restoration of the traditional fishing locations many families knew for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Can you tell us why it was important for you to leave readers, to launch readers into the volume with that vision of the future written in that way? You know, I came up, well, I mean, through the tribes and stuff, and, and we... A lot of times we, we think about things in, not just in the past, but the future. And sometimes, you know, to sort of make something happen in the future, you have to imagine it beforehand. So in a way, I'm like, I guess we are planting ideas in everybody's minds that, you know, 
to imagine this, it's kind of like a prayer in a sense. It's like you're imagining what could happen, what will happen in the future when the dams are, go are gone. And so that tribes have been talking about this for years. You know, this has been a regular conversation with tribes. And so, and it's actually happening on the Elwha. The dam was taken out several years ago and now the fish are coming back and they're working on restoration. They're working on this on the, on the Klamath. And, and, and so part of our discussions about the volume was this, you know, it's happening in Washington State, it's happening in California, there's work happening in Oregon to breach dams in Oregon as well, on the Snake, other places. And so it is happening, and what, and we see the model happening in Washington State, we see models ha of this happening in, in, on, the, on the, the, the Klamath River, and so, and so what, so it's time for everybody to hear, to imagine that happening here too. Chanti and Lily, do either of you want to speak, or both of you speak a little bit about that, imagining the future, and what that was like working on this project, and how that is like or different from, you know, how you spend your time elsewhere than this project? Yeah. We talked a lot about, I think, the sort of cyclical nature of time, and, and the fact, too, that just you know, our mode of time and thinking is very settler colonial, to think of it as linear. So to think about that future, not just sort of the sorrow of the past, but also the future and how that intersects with like positive moments in the past, even when we're talking about these really hard topics. I know that's something that I think kind of emerged in our conversations. And but we see it reflected in the pieces that naturally came out in one of the the very first poem you read as well. So you launch from David's piece into the poem. Um, yeah, and then through the artwork, including some really clever details Shanti came up with. And here's Shanti Manyan. Yeah, I think that was definitely something we talked about quite a lot in our conversations about it. I think one thing that I really wanted to do is sort of be able to represent the cyclical nature so that came up with the details on the inside of the pages that kind of goes through um, a salmon life cycle and then also on the front with the salmon and then the salmon skeleton kind of make a circle um, with the hands and try to sort of lean into the that um, the idea of the, the the cyclical nature of time and then also with the salmon life cycles and I think in terms of sort of leaning into the idea of indigenous futurism, I think that the the way I think of like color really comes into that. I think that when I'm sort of envisioning the aesthetics of sort of historic imagery, it's very like black and white sepia toned. So I really wanted to lean into having quite rich colors to be able to be included on, on the cover. You're listening to Confluence Radio, indigenous voices of the Columbia River system. And now, Dr. David Lewis. Salmon is an important uh, food, it's an important resource, it's important uh, relative of all the tribes in this area, and, and we say this for a long, long time, whole economies built around everything else. But this, but some of um, what's missed sometimes is everything else. <laughs> There's a lot of other foods, a lot of other resources out there, a lot of other 
nature, parts of nature that has sustained us as well. And, and that's one reason why I had her, I had uh, Shanti put, um, I asked Shanti to put um, the Wapato flowers on the front here because, um, you know, some of uh, a lot of recent research has shown that the Wapato was actually uh, the major resource in the fall and into the early winter in the Portland area. And you know, right here, I thought that that's important just to say that that it's not just about salmon. Salmon are very important, huge, major resource for all the tribes, but everything else is also important too. It you know it's the it's all the other animals and plants are also as important to keeping and sustaining the salmon and people and everything else. So I wanted to ask how you decided the order for the pieces in the issue. I will recommend for those who haven't read it yet, I recommend starting at the beginning and reading all the way through. And if you're like me, you'll be very emotional at the end. It was a really emotional conclusion. So how did you decide how to order the pieces? I was in charge of putting up together that outline, and I know I wanted, like I was thinking about, I wanted to start with, after the letter, the poem, and I wanted to put that actually before the timeline, even though at first I was going to put the timeline first because it's a resource, and then I really wanted the poem to set the stage, and then Rachel's piece, because it is very explicitly about resurgence, I wanted to have at the end, so kind of start with something that introduces you to the theme and ends with something that's very forward-thinking. There's a, uh, Dr. Lindsay Schneider's essay um, asks, what do I owe the rivers that shaped me? And so that piece really, she, she writes about the idea of removing dams is understandably troubling to so many residents of the Pacific Northwest because it represents the dismantling of settler futures, which is so a wonderful sentence. Throughout that essay, she's writing about this idea of, of obligation. And so how did you all think about obligation in the process of creating this work? It's kind of summing up what a lot of people think that live in this area, Native people and others, that you know the, the water and river is a lifeblood of the area, and we kind of have a responsibility to the river for sustaining us for you know so long so for so for millennia so and and we and we've somewhat destroyed it so maybe we still have that responsibility to bring it back so that's 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 how that's what I got out of that so I think that sort of being able to highlight the river as on the very front of the cover and have it be exactly in the center felt like it was sort of tied into that one in terms of that that's the highlight that sort of everything else kind of is framing it but to really center the the river explicitly as sort of like that that we owe owe it that sort of spot I think about a lot of my work 
at Confluence. Confluence is an obligation because we are all about this place. I'm a settler. I'm descended from a lot of various settlers and farmers, fur traders, etc. And I grew up quite near the Columbia River. So I think for me, doing this work is an obligation to do better in the future. For me, this whole issue is an obligation. In her essay, Carol Craig writes this sentence, science and dreams can be partners. Science and dreams can be partners. And I thought this was such a concise way of putting, you know, one of the sort of themes that seems to come throughout the volume. Would any of you like to talk about that? Sort of that connection and that sentiment? I think it's another way of stating the sort of nature, indigenous futurism idea, this I mean, futurism is really a dream, like what, what can happen in the future. Let's dream of it first and think about it beforehand and then write about it and then imagine it. And here's Shanti Manyan. I think sort of as, as an artist, I probably spend a lot more time on like the dreaming part than the science part. <laughs> but I definitely think that science kind of has the connotation of sort of being like objective or sort of separate from that. And I think that that kind of does a disservice to how much of an influence we have on what gets researched and through what lens. So I think that that sort of idea is really why it's so important to have different viewpoints, specifically indigenous people being involved within the different processes of like science and being able to make that connection between you know, a quote-unquote, like, objective science and tying it into, like, you know, traditional ecological knowledge and just generations of knowing land and, you know, the fact that the land was managed and it wasn't just, you know, like a pristine, untouched wilderness. You know, it, it, there was quite a lot of, of involvement so, you know, with like prescribed burns kind of reemerging quite a bit, I think that, that that ties in. Okay, I wanted to ask if you all will speak a little bit about what you hope people take away from the volume and how you imagine it being used. And you've touched on some of this already, but just to be really explicit about that and what's the impact of this work or its purpose. And do you think about that differently for Native and non-Native people who engage with the work? Yeah, I mean, I think I really hope to see this as almost a toolbox for people on the subject. I hope to see it in schools. I think one thing for me that is, that is interesting in terms of how this is different from other work Confluence does is that it is this sort of physical thing with that great paper. <laughs> And so you can put it in bookstores, in libraries, in places where people may not be necessarily looking for it because they will stumble upon and see it. Besides what I've already said, I think there's a lot of, for non-Native people, a lot of times they don't understand where Native people come from. And so this whole volume is in sort of a Native voice 
from Native people that are clearly using science and, not, and TEK in, in the way they're thinking about things. And, and so I think in a lot of our work as, as, Native, as Indigenous educators, we're constantly having to educate non-Native people about who we are, about where we come from, about our priorities in life, and, and, and that we are not the stereotypes and that we are actually thinking, feeling human beings. And, and I think that, that part of the problems that we have in our society is, is that a lot of folks don't understand anything about Native people at all. And they live in, and many people live inside the stereotype of what Native people are. And so I think as people read this volume, maybe other books or, th or watch movies or whatever about Native people, they'll begin to realize that, hey, you know, there's something else going on here. They're not just activists. They're not just, um, you know, after the things uh, for their own purposes, but they, they really are, they do really care about things. Uh, they have an important culture. They have an important life way that, that what they have to say is important as well. So I think that's important to say that maybe not for this audience necessarily, but, but as this gets out into the world, and as people read it and then get inspired to do other things, maybe this will be helpful for people understanding Native perspective and how Native people you know, think about things. I think I'm really interested sort of sometime in the future when dams are eventually taken out of the river, people being able to sort of like look back on this and being able to see that, that, that it's a, a future that people used to imagine and people used to dream about, I think that that will be a really cool thing to be able to have this sort of physical piece of a particular moment in time. You've been listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. Thank you to the Oregon Historical Society for hosting this event with Dr. David Lewis, Chanti Manyan, and Lily Hart. Voices of the River Volume 2 is funded by the Cowlitz Tribal Foundation, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Honorable Frank L. and Arlene G. Price Foundation, and, of course, the Friends of Confluence. You can buy your own copy of Voices of the River at confluenceproject.org, and there you can also learn about our five completed sites and all the work we do in education. That's confluenceproject.org. Click on the Confluence shop in the upper right-hand corner to purchase the journal. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the Friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today. Thanks for listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. Thank you.